0: Hi, and welcome to Pillsbury's Industry Insights podcast, where we discuss current legal and practical issues in finance and related sectors. I'm Joel Simon, a finance partner at the international law firm Pillsbury Winthrop Shaw Pittman. After a busy year end and kickoff to 2021, it's great to be back presenting new episodes. Looking back on 2020, I'd like to give a shout out to my colleagues Megan Sinise and Courtney Hudson. For their marketing and technical support in helping us complete 25 episodes. You can listen to any or all of them on our landing page, which you can find by entering Pillsbury Industry Insights podcast into your web browser. Joining us today is Steve Hamilton, one of Pillsbury's leading real estate finance lawyers. Steve has extensive experience in structuring, negotiating, and closing real estate finance transactions. Steve primarily represents lenders in originating, restructuring, and working out various types of loans, lines of credit, and letters of credit for projects ranging from housing subdivisions, retail centers, and office buildings, to warehouses, hotels, and senior assisted living facilities. Welcome to our podcast, Steve.
1: Thanks, Joel. It's great to be here.
0: I'd like to kick off our discussion today with some optimism. We all know the real estate sector took a beating during the last year or so, but it wasn't all doom and gloom. In particular, you remain pretty busy in certain segments of the real estate finance market, primarily for lenders, but including on a borrower side transaction in November that at the time was the largest hotel sale and financing since the onset of COVID-19 in the first quarter of 2020. Can you tell us about your experience in some of these flourishing areas of the real estate market? Sure
1: yeah well t- as we know 2020 was um, a little bit of a dumpster fire for the real estate uh, industry, but there were some some highlights and there were some areas that were that did flourish um, saw a lot of activity at least in the construction loan sect- sector of what I do um, involving industrial buildings and, and warehouses um, for distribution centers we saw a number of uh, retail projects, which, you know, ordinarily folks would think were, were struggling, uh, you know, during stay-at-home orders, during COVID, but uh, we, you know, some developers and retailers actually found opportunities there. Uh, an example is uh, in, in a number of shopping centers um, where you, you had the likes of Toys R Us and other bankrupt um, companies, uh, you know, there was space that was available and you saw, Uh, Amazon, for example, come in pretty hard um, in the last half of the year, um, rebranding those those shopping centers with, or those stores with uh, places like their four-star stores where they bring products, you know, direct to consumers rather than having them, um, you know, delivered to their front door. They put some of the hottest items that are, you know, trending on their their web-based portals into brick and mortar where people, you know, want immediate uh, uh, gratification. They wanna pick it up, you know, they can't wait the, the day or two for Prime, they, they wanna go get it now. Um, so you've seen that and they've gone in beyond um, Whole Foods, you know, they there are now Amazon themed grocery stores. And so, you know, that was kind of a, a new thing that we saw, not just construction loan, but, you know, sort of um, retooling existing retail centers around, uh, you know, this marquee product. Because the one thing that lenders definitely like is is consistency. And what we saw during the pandemic was there are certain um, uh, retail establishments that, you know, folks need regardless of what's going on. Grocery stores um, and, you know, the targets of the world are, are you know, those kinds of um, shops that folks, you know, still need to, to. Uh, you know, go to once a week or twice a week to pick up the the essentials. So you know, any any of those groceries uh, or uh, retail centers that are um, anchored by a, a grocery store or a you know now a Amazon related uh, you know those are super great credit for the the lenders and they uh, you know they they have flocked to those. Um, you you mentioned also how at the end of last year, I was involved in the the financing for the hotel up in, um, in Orange County. Um, You know, that was an opportunity that one of our, um, one of our borrowers had a, um, an opportunity to, to buy a a marquee product um, at a discount because um, you know, the the hotel had been shuttered for some time or was at least under uh, limited use. And, you know, with the right, Management and vision—they um, see that product as being, uh, or that 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 uh, property as being a a, a boon that they're going to redevelop it, and um, you know it's going to be a marquee hotel um, in the near future when they finish their their improvements to it. So there are some bright spots out there um, if you look hard enough and. Uh, you know it 's not all doom and gloom um you just need to to find the right um the right sponsors doing the right type of development and you know if you if you get folks who are building these large industrial buildings that are um, being used for distribution centers for the likes of Amazon near ports and such um you know that 's definitely uh something that the the lenders are looking for. And we did quite a few loans uh, in the second half of last year and in the beginning part of year 2021 um, for those types of uh, products.
0: Those are certainly significant contrasts to certain other subsectors in real estate, such as mom and pop retail, certain big box stores, and strip malls, which have taken big hits. I know there's also been a market and demographic shift caused by or accelerated by the pandemic creating opportunities for new home building as well as for apartments in mid-sized and smaller cities in certain parts of the country. What can you tell us about these opportunities?
1: So, yeah, that's the other thing that was a little surprising that we saw in um, the later half of, of 2020 and now into 2021 as well, which is uh, there is a, a booming uh, apartment market out there. Uh, lots of developers and and lenders going alike are developing uh, brand new uh, turnkey, uh, you know, high-end apartments, uh, a lot in sort of call them secondary cities or, or outside of the primary urban areas is where we've been seeing them, um, you know, have closed on multiple uh, apartment uh, loans in the last six months, where you have millennials uh, who are fleeing the big cities, uh, with, with COVID, they uh, were looking for, uh, you know, a, a, an exit to the suburbs um, and or to smaller cities because you know, they're not tied to the large urban centers that they were when they had to uh, commute into work every day. And so you've seen a, a movement where, you know, these apartment projects, especially, you know, in the Western states is where I primarily um, do my deals, uh, they've become very attractive and, you know, in addition to that, uh, the, we've seen a, a number of new um, subdivisions uh, popping up and doing loans with with subdivisions. The the housing market uh, is is very hot. Uh, you have folks again fleeing from the urban centers and looking for uh, a home to themselves, where you know they're not sharing an elevator or or common amenities with folks, um, and they want to space out. They want a home that has a third bedroom, or a fourth bedroom, or a fifth bedroom, or what it may be, to be used as a home office. So we've seen a number of of new subdivision loans come online in the last six months, um, and you know anyone who has has monitored home prices during uh, the pandemic, it, it definitely does not track the doom and gloom that people uh, have predicted. In fact, you know, in, at least here in the West, and and I think. In other uh, major metropolitan areas, the the housing market is is going crazy, and you know the, the prices keep going up and up. And with that, the money follows, and the developers are are moving that direction. So you see, lenders um, are very uh, comfortable with that, uh, given the fact that um, they they see that there is this you know flight to the suburbs. And uh, the, the values are there, and the lenders um, will always loan where, where the value is. And so I, I see that uh, process continuing here now that folks have uh, you know you kind of have the genie out of the bottle and folks are, are used to working from home and uh, are going to continue to want to do that. And uh, having that home office and a little bit more space to breathe in uh, is is definitely something that folks will be looking for.
0: I definitely agree with you, Steve. The, the trends toward remote working um, as well as some remote schooling uh, have definitely driven a need for either larger space or more rooms so that people have privacy while they're working. Um, I'd like to go back to something you mentioned earlier regarding uh, large distribution centers, warehouses, um, and uh, port, port cities or, or transportation hubs. I guess companies are, are, are able to look at those as a means of lowering operating expenses if they can take advantage of the market in that way. And it sounds like a potential win for certain areas uh, that need to shore up their tax base um, as well as provide jobs and attract new residents. I'm thinking of East Coast port cities uh, such as Boston, Massachusetts, Bridgeport in New Haven in Connecticut, Newark, New Jersey, uh, as well as Baltimore, Maryland. What are your thoughts on, on that area of growth?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I, I agree with you. Uh, you know, I would add Jacksonville, Florida to that list. Um, yeah, the, the port of Jacksonville has been expanding over uh, the last decade and the, the surrounding areas um, uh, in Jacksonville, which you know, is the biggest metropolitan area um, within the United States. Um, it has has grown uh, exponentially during that time. So it, there are definitely opportunities there. And as the e-commerce world expands as it has, I mean everybody has taken advantage of um, the, the pandemic um, and you know the opportunities available there for e-retailers to um, grab even more of the bro- the brick and mortar, business that was uh that is out there you know the distribution centers are becoming more and more important for for those e-retailers they want to be able to have their product off the ship and in a distribution center and and quickly to the end user so that they can meet their one-day shipping or two-day shipping or in some instances six-hour shipping um, and so having proximity to ports whether it be jacksonville whether it be in in uh, In New Haven, whether it be in in, uh, Long Beach in California, um, having proximity to both those ports and then to major distribution hubs and the the highway system is going to be critical. And, you know, the Biden administration is pledging $2 trillion. I I almost feel like I should say that like Dr. Evil, $2 trillion in infrastructure. You know, that's going to be a huge amount of money um, going towards ports and, and bridges and and expanding what is already there and making it uh modern uh, and i think that the banks are going to follow that if the developers are building uh warehouse facilities uh cold storage what have you to serve um, those e-retailers the, the lenders will follow and you know they they love to see credit when you know if you've got the amazons of the world or the walmarts of the world putting in distribution centers. Um, you know that is, you know, blue chip. That's you know, gold star. We're gonna, you know, they, the the lenders follow that. The developers seek those tenants out, and I I definitely see those port areas being further redeveloped and and uh, and moving towards a future where there will be more and more distribution centers in those areas uh, in order to to meet the needs of the the customers who now have a you know, somewhat insatiable desire to have things delivered at a moment, moment's notice. So I, I definitely see that the, the trend continuing uh, post-COVID.
0: Well, it sounds like we have a topic for a future podcast episode, Steve, the tie-in of real estate and infrastructure. Thanks so much for this look at some of the bright spots in what was an otherwise gloomy season for new real estate projects and financing. It's been great chatting with you today.
1: Thanks, Joel. Anytime. Pleasure to be here.
0: And now it's time for This Week in History. February 22nd is known to most Americans as George Washington's birthday. So being wedded to our three-day weekends and not wanting to create multiple birthday holidays for other presidents in our politically divisive times, we of course celebrate that now as President's Day on the Monday in between his actual birthday and February 12th, Abraham Lincoln's actual birthday. So rather than dwell on that, I'd like to highlight a lighter moment for which we can cheer on, actually, February 22nd. One that celebrates a great Hollywood achievement and salutes the cinema, which so desperately needs a shot in the arm as we look ahead and hopefully pull out of the pandemic. In 1934, a great film opened at Radio City Music Hall in New York City. It's a love story with classic screwball plot twists and one that is sure to bring a smile to your face if you have a chance to watch it. I'm speaking of It Happened One Night, starring Clark Gable and Claudette Colbert, directed by Frank Capra, and with a screenplay written by Robert Raskin. It was the first film, and only one of three ever, to win what are known as the Big Five Academy Awards for Best Picture, Actor, Actress, Director, and Screenplay. I really hope you'll get a chance to see it. Can you guess the other two without Google? Until next time, thank you for listening to Pillsbury's Industry Insights Podcast.